0: What's up, Growth Nation? Welcome back to Scale or Die, the show where we uncover proven growth strategies from CEOs and growth experts behind some of the world's fastest growing startups. I'm your host, Dave Rogenmoser. And today we've got a new friend. I feel like I always say it's a new friend, but you really are a new friend that I yes. uh, met at Saster, yeah. I guess, about a month ago. We Ed Fry, who has been working with, particularly in B2B SaaS for the last six or seven years here across a couple different companies, was at inbound.org, was at HubSpot, and most recently was the... I guess Ed of Growth yeah. is what you say. Yeah, <laughs> the head of growth at Whole, and now is uh, working as a consultant with other B two B SaaS companies. Ed loves talking about data, mm-hmm. underlying data, but then I think more importantly, what we're going to talk about today is kind of what what can you do when you've got a good data strategy in place? What are some of the most cutting edge companies doing when they actually are able to sync up all their data, get rich customer profiles, and what's the power that comes from from that? So, Ed. Welcome, I'm excited to kind of nerd out and talk about data and a bunch of cool stuff.
1: Yeah, very excited to be here.
0: So before we kind of get, I guess, into like currently what you're working on and what you've been seeing here, you were at HubSpot, and before we started filming, you said kind of the consulting you're gonna be doing is kind of a combination of what you were doing at HubSpot, but then also what you were doing at Whole. And I guess tell us like what were you doing at HubSpot? What did you kinda learn What did you kinda pick up there as a marketer, how they kind of transition into whole and kind of where are you at today?
1: So um, so when I was at Inbound, that started as a, like a side project piece um, So by Rand of Moz and uh, Dharmesh and at HubSpot. Um, and although that was a side project for them and we kind of kept that going, it was originally at his 500 bucks a month for your time and $12,000 to last indefinitely to like manage this side thing. Not really a job. Yeah, no. So this was actually before university, before college. <laughs> um, like yeah, about a month before first going to Bristol. Um, yeah, I was, I, was, I was doing this, which was great because that paid my beer budget through uh, through university. Um, but about halfway through my time in university, uh, the, we had this discussion uh, when all three of us were together in uh, Seattle um, in in July 2013 for Moscon. Um, like this is going all right. Like it's you know, but it needs either Mars or HubSpot or just more resource to go into it. Um, and that wound up with HubSpot acquiring mm. um, a- acquiring Org. Um, and so that was great because we had all the resources of HubSpot put in, not just like the uh, tools and tech, um, but also like the kind of financials to it. And um, for me, that also gave eyes into the Big Orange company about a year before they were going public. And all the B two B SaaS playbook and everything which was put on uh, put on there, um, but as we grew, uh, particularly post that acquisition, um, like acquisition for us was no longer really an issue. Like once we connected to this ecosystem, we had a bunch of members coming in. What did you sell at Inbound So Inbound was a community for marketers, like Hacker News for marketers. Um, You'd go there, be able to submit links, um, ask post questions, et cetera. When it started, it was mostly RANDs followings. It was mostly SEOs who knew each other talking about SEO. But if you look at the acquisition thing, which was coming in, uh, particularly uh, post-acquisition, meta-acquisition, that value proposition really began to change. People didn't see people they recognized talking about subjects they recognized. And what this did for us is a big decrease in engagement, a big decrease uh, in engagement, and ultimately like our retention curve just began to drop off totally. Because it used three to be three. this like, tight knit, raving fans, yeah. this is our crew, Yeah, and you, so, guys, you guys and sold so, out to the man. You could, say, you could say that, but also all your top line metrics, your vanity metrics begin to look amazing, but actually the fundamentals behind the scene, mm-hmm. uh, you weren't actually joining up and delivering the same value as you were back in the day. Um, and it became to the beginning of 2016 uh, where this all came to a halt and these charts were shown, and okay, we need to fundamentally change our strategy. So away from uh, new users and away from like amount of content and this kind of thing, to focusing on weekly active users and what really drives that, um, and understanding how to pull together that kind of value proposition. And it was January 2016 where my journey really into like data and data strategy and how you uh, can create better experiences, how you can do personalization, how you can uh, get into this—that how that really started. So one of the things we and did it start just out of you just had to like you had to dig in and start figuring out
0: yeah, how this, do we turn the ship around exactly um, it was not a sustainable uh, situation so, so it wasn't like you were just looking to be all about data and loving data we were like I'm a marketer I need to figure out how to turn this thing
1: around yeah, it's, it was a resource eating thing which wasn't yep. generating value like value in the same way. Um, and so yeah, it's a question like this is either going to be turned off or we need to figure, figure the way out. Um, so that really, like starting to think through that, that set of problems, like how did people get value from uh, this community? What were they doing? And this is very similar to SaaS companies, like how are people using your product? And all those answers aren't in your email tools, they aren't in the things which marketers traditionally have access to, they're in your back-end database. Um, so what we did is connected that back-end database to our HubSpot portal so that we could really understand uh, and take action on um, how people were using the platform, how people were engaging, um, how people were using the product, if you like. Um, So me as a marketer, me as a community manager, I could then email people based on who they were, the actions they were taking, the time zone they were in, all that rich context which I would know if I were face to face with them, but I wasn't able to join the dots otherwise. So by getting access to that data, I could suddenly start to pinpoint where the opportunities were. From there, we started to figure out, okay, where are the opportunities? So working backwards from what drives weekly active users, really it came down to a function of the number of discussions and the number, like the number of things which you could engage with each week. Um, and that also tied it together with the number of contributors. So we had two very common types of interaction. One was like submitting an article link. And one was posting like a discussion question. Discussions drove like four times the amount of engagement as, as as posting an article. There was some like back and forth. So the strategy: okay, we're going to focus on discussions on Q and A. We're going to try and seed as many questions as possible, get as many answers for that as possible. That was going to drive the number of contributors up, which was going to drive the number of active users up. So how do we join the dots here? So we have a like a question. We weren't sure of people asking questions in the uh, in the community. That was great. Um, but how do we find people to answer that stuff? Say. Um, how would you put together a content strategy or like I'm new, uh, I'm the first to hire in a B2B SaaS company, what should I do? These kinds of questions which a lot of people could answer uh, and with unique interesting answers. So who are the types of people you could ask who can answer that question based on their skills, based on their recent engagement, based on their time zone because you want to be able to wrap this up within a couple of hours because you could think of the over the course of a week, you'd have I mean the, the kind of five business days, but also over the, the day, you want to be able to drive engagement through the morning hours, but so being able to leverage like Europe and European members. So by the time the East Coast woke up, which is the key peak of the day, we'd have a thriving set of discussions and community uh, activity. So by joining the dots there, like so building this model so where we could focus on. And then it came to how do we turn that model into a process which we could run with. Um, so remember, we had the, all the insights in the backend database. We had this then put into HubSpot, uh, where we were going to uh, manage all this kind of stuff. So how do we systematically set up a system of emails to reach the precise the people we wanted to answer those particular questions? Um, And so we set that up, and that was a very manual process. Every single new question to go in and uh, from our pre-built set of segments, uh, email those precise precise number of people. So a question would come in, and then you would email people that could potentially answer it? Yeah. And it would be like a plain text email, a Gmail type thing, something where... So I always find with anything that's kind of data-driven or based on, like, you're trying to personalize experience, try it manually, try it one-off, and then try and scale that experience. But for email, for asking a favor, you want to send that, like, as a Gmail thing, you want to send it written from, like, a person to another person. But then maybe just send that through an email marketing tool to many other people. That became the trick. That, by sending those hyper-personalized emails, hey, uh, so-and-so, like... uh, just is asked about uh, who else is going to inbound this year, it's his first time, you've been a couple of times before, what would your advice be? Here's a link, appreciate it if you could uh, pop an answer in this afternoon. Those kind of emails drove four times the click rate, i.e. for every 10, uh, 10 emails we'd sent we'd get four times the number of people actually back on the site than anything else we'd send. But it's only because we had all that context, all, all that, to be able to join the dots there. Um, These but, are. Did you think, see things start to change there pretty quickly? Yes, so by, because of that growth model, which we, so we hypothesized if we'd increase the number of uh, peak contributors by inc- like focusing on Q&A, we'd increase the number of weekly active users, which in, like, drove, drove the, uh, the community metrics all in the right direction. The platform to become this valuable destination again. But despite having access to all the data, despite having this growth model, despite having this process, despite having all this set down, it was an incredibly manual process. Um, we didn't get to a point where we could fully automate our way out of that. Um, And so really this is where uh, the kind of realization that yes, you need to get all those steps, you need to know where to aim, how to leverage that data, but you then need to be able to turn it into a system of automation, a system of rules. Um, And so the fastest growing startups and the fastest growing strategies we see with data uh, tend to be around getting all those steps in order, but then be able to turn it into some kind of business rule. Um, Some kind of uh, if this, then that logic, something which is uh, doesn't require manual intervention each and every time. So, if person has these traits, then do this thing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, what, whatever that kind of set of thing might be. Now, with customer data, that might be something like how to send an email. But systems of rules expand uh, expand much larger than that. Something like pricing. Pricing affects every single customer. Pricing is an incredibly powerful rule within within your system uh, within that system within the company. Um, like the the guys at ProfitWell ran a study comparing acquisition versus retention versus monetization, which is the most powerful set of levers. And they found, have to remember the numbers exactly and how they measure it, but for a one percent increment in performance on acquisition, they would find a four to eight uh, percent increase uh, uh, with monetization. I.e., pricing is four times more effective than acquisition and twice as effective as uh, working retention. Um, it, I've, two times in my career have we done, like, radical pricing experiments without, like, much care, like just doubling pricing and that just doubling revenue. Now, if you try and do the same thing with, like, acquisition, like, you don't just double acquisition. It's, uh, it's just one of those business rules. It's what, something which can immediately deliver an impact um, versus how do you double search traffic, how do you um, double social traffic, how do you double the amount of paid, uh, paid acquisition. Like, it's a different kind of thing. Um, And so you need to think about, okay, what are the rules? What are the systems fundamentally behind the growth, behind everything that you're working on?
0: When you start working with these B2B startups that you've been either consulting with or working with, you know, with Whole or wherever, where are people most stuck or getting it wrong or missing opportunities that you see and you come in and say, hey, let's fix these things?
1: Yeah, so typically amongst... Before you've got product-market fit, there's a whole, you need to get that whole kind of set of problems sorted out. So after that, once you've got like, first marketer in, you've got like, a lead, leads are coming in, you have a method of doing that, you have a method of closing that, that general funnel doesn't look too bad. How do you scale from there? So people go and hire the best people they can find. They buy the best tools in the market. These are all very commonly well understood things, but the same amount of care and attention is not put into your data. And that becomes a drag on your teams and on your tools. Whereas the fastest growing companies think about their data on the same level, there's a hierarchy to it. Like teams own tools, and tools own data, and as teams buy more tools, like proof, like email tools, like CRMs, whatever, to do the jobs they have to do in order to grow, this creates a system of silos. And it lets you actually think how to join this app and how to leverage all that and how to build rules and how to build systems across that, it becomes a drag on the entire company. Um, so you' they're really of- only
0: as good as the data that you have exactly exactly it really becomes frustrating as you have all these different tools yeah. all these different audiences that you've rebuilt over and over and like we did our daily huddle yesterday and someone running our customer success is like, hey, can I get these like two events yep. sent in or like, hey, who even knows where the events are you know it's like what are the names and it's like this whole
1: thing that it's just hard to do yep. across teams yep exactly so the uh- Companies aren't generally short of data or like adding tracking for those events. Like that's typically not the hard part. The hard part is how to make sense of it and pull it all together into a system which is accessible. You can derive the growth model, the growth equations behind it, and you can turn that into a process and turn that into business rules and like automation and so on and so forth.
0: Well, I guess that kind of leads you into Whole. Yes. And I guess why did you
1: join up there and like what were you guys doing Sure. Yeah. Whole. So, uh, like I mentioned, when back at HubSpot, the, the the data-driven insights came from connecting our platform, our backend, our MySQL database to HubSpot, um, and being able to join the dots uh, in that way—not just like literal data, but also join the dots in our heads. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, this behavior yep. is enforcing this. Um, that took a lot of engineering time. We so happened to have that in, those those engineers, um, but most companies don't. But I found even when you have them, you still don't want to use them. It's like, I've got a bunch of engineers back there. I still don't want to talk to them if I don't have to. Sure. So all right, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that, that, that in a second. But um, so when I, I saw Hull, um, which had just pivoted uh, to become this B2B customer platform, uh, this was going to provide the answer. Sure, it's, uh, it takes a lot of the effort away from engineering. It also empowers engineers. Um, but this was, this was going to be the future. Everyone needs to be able to join the dots. Uh, everyone needs to be able to understand the their customer journey. Everyone needs to be able to bring all their context uh, to, to provide a better experience. So I joined there uh, again, again as uh, employee number one. Um, we began to figure out like, okay, who are we selling to? Is this um, like what kind of area of the market? We knew we wanted to be B two B. We knew we wanted to be mid market ish, um, but is this going to be very small, or is this going to be like the later stage? Is this selling to marketers or marketing ops or engineering or I don't know? Yep. Um, so it's kind of like, like custom development uh, type type stage, um, and we began to settle on a kind of a direction. And I think uh, particularly two thousand eighteen onwards, we uh, really settled on uh, understanding the profile within these sorts of companies, which how they structure their teams to structure their data, um, and really the profile we see that's emerging most is a growth engineer. It is uh, an engineering role which doesn't roll up to a CTO, which does not fall under product, which does not care so much about things like uptime and sprints and whatever, but rolls up under a COO, a CMO. They care about supporting sales and empowering marketing and setting all on that side. And the kinds of things they will be doing, data engineering, like sorting this data behind the scenes, it's a bit more like a DevOps-type role for, um, for the marketing space, for the marketing stack. And pieces around that. And is that a growth engineer, as opposed to maybe a growth market,
0: maybe a a semi technical growth market? Is it it an engineer only because it's still too technical for a non engineer to kind of run with that whole strategy?
1: Yeah, so you could say it's the ability to code or not, or things like that. I think there's quite a lot of tooling which enables you to just parameterize things. Like you can get quite a long way with tools like Salesforce and HubSpot just by fiddling around with parameters. Key thing is really understanding how your data flows and what affects something else, um, and the impacts of various different things can have. Um, understanding how data flows and what data you need those that's the key uh, key piece there. And typically, that involves like some more technical skills. Like you should be able to write a SQL query. You should be able to yep. uh, maybe write some JavaScript, whatever, to manipulate stuff. Um, but that's like more kind of the skill set. Um, the, the in terms of that profile. And so that growth engineer might not be like a VP growth. It might not be a managerial type position. Um, And so who then goes and buys these teams? Who organises these projects? might be like a VP marketing or VP demand gen or VP growth that brings this kind of in, has a data engineer. But really the trend we're seeing in the fastest growing companies is that doesn't even sit with marketing or sales or CS or anything like that. It falls under ops. It falls under operations. Um, So for better or worse, it goes through one service and that becomes... The source of truth both in terms of tooling and data and team for everything else in the company.
0: Basically, there's operations that is saying, here's all the data that's yeah. true about our company. Yeah. Every team is free to consume it and we're going to yeah. make that available and clean, but it's not marketing data.
1: It's not product. It's just, here's the company data. Yeah. Everyone use it. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so that should then be propagated to your system of, uh, of choice. So marketing might be using marketing automation tool, the ads tool or whatever, so that whenever they're using it, they've got the most complete, most accurate, most up-to-date data uh, at any one time, and they don't have to worry about that, like, that's someone else's job. Versus marketing having to try and hire a developer and try and manage this all themselves, and sales do the same, and CS and product or whatever, um, so every time a sales rep are on a phone or looking at a CRM, anytime you're putting together a campaign, anytime that you should have reliable, most complete, most accurate, most up-to-date data. And that tends to be how teams organize, not just in terms of tools. Uh, but also data, also how they structure themselves. Bain. And then the growth engineers sit with that. Um, typically, as companies are growing, uh, projects like data warehousing and BI and like all that kind of analysis comes in. Um, and that's been something which has been around for a while, like tools like Tableau, et cetera. Um, and what we're seeing teams building the business case for this is that resource already exists. Can we do this kind of data engineering to empower marketing? It's not just about pulling insights from like a Tableau dashboard, and that may be filtering through some reports at management, management level, and then eventually affecting change through some meeting. No, it's about the real time sync with the tools that those teams are using. So once companies kind of get some level of this set up, you know,
0: relatively clean, relatively consumable, what, do you, what have you seen these like companies that are most cutting edge able to do with that? Yeah.
1: So, BDB SaaS companies generally will fit into like one of two camps. Um, so if you're very like low ACV, a lot of the automation around sales or like even cutting out sales, so like the freemium free trial, how do you optimize that? And On the other end, uh, where you've got a much higher ACV, it's how do you focus those resources around an account. It's all about account-based marketing and account-based orchestration. Um, so those are the kind of two big flavors. Let's we'll um, start with like the account-based marketing. Like, what have you seen? Well, so there's a common set of things which ties all that together, which is okay. How do you uh, use and enable this data? Uh, so uh, the really we kind of think of it in terms of a, a set of six uh, six questions: like who are you talking to, what are you trying to say, when are you trying to say it, where are you trying to say it, uh, and why? What's the kind of the, the reason to move them through the funnel? So two, segmentation that rule is defined somewhere. What which tends to be some like what is the content, what is the messaging. But also what is the templating? Again, it's defined by data. When, what's the trigger? Events, again, it's defined by data. Where, the tool, the channel, that's defined by data. And why, where is this in the customer journey map? What is the experience through that? And the final piece of that is how. How are you gonna really, really tie that all together? So when you're comparing like, free trial optimization, it's those set of questions applied to, okay, you, you care about people within their free trial, the messaging which is gonna move them forward, when, what well based on the actions they've just taken, where, well, probably a scalable channel like email, so an email, a good email tool like customer.io, uh, et cetera, et cetera. ABM, it's the same story. You, you're just putting different answers to those types of questions, which means the kind of the data management is often pretty much the same. You're just working with slightly different sources and slightly different, uh, slightly different methods there. But this strategy is, and the questions you're asking are exactly the same.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've seen. I think I was on or am on the email list from Whole, yeah. and after we got back from Saster, you were sending out these emails, and they were all like personalized with all these different merge tags. And at the bottom, you'd kind of say, "Check out this link to like see the personalization, yeah. you know, behind this." Yeah. What are the results of like those kinds of emails versus if you just sent out,
1: you yeah. know, just a regular email that's unpersonalized? Yeah. So the. Uh, Going back to what I was doing at HubSpot, sending those like personalized emails, um, uh, I did a post on this, including showing the full numbers for the basically three types of emails we sent. So we had a normal newsletter, which mm-hmm. wasn't really personalized at all. Um, we had fake notification emails <laughs> to try and bring people back, um, and we had these personalized emails. We found about 2.5% click-through rates, or click rates, sorry, on uh, the just normal newsletter. So that's kind of a benchmark, about 5% on the uh, fake notification emails. 10 percent, i.e uh, one in ten people would be back on the side that we email, which is pretty good when you send a quarter of a million of those. Um, that is not, yeah, that is good. Uh, so that's the kind of, that's the kind of benchmark. Um, if you think of like a really good SDR or a, the level of personalization they would want to put into sending something out to get a response, that's what you want to be aiming for with all your email, not just your, uh, not just like, yeah, the email where you can put the resource in for, to put the time together. Um, so yeah, that, that's been mm-hmm. kind of the answer to the question. Our, so at Hull, because they, it's, uh, those emails are more like a newsletter style, or like his content to consume, versus me asking for a specific, nope. uh, you to do a specific action, uh, so we see about like 5%. So it's still twice as good as maybe the newsletter we had before, uh, but we didn't send nearly the, the volume I did, uh, did previously. But uh, yeah, 5% of people coming back to the site is not too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, definite room for improvement there.
0: So I'm curious. I want to get some free consulting for proof here. Sure. Now if you can think about us as an example, if you were to come in, you know, for a month, mm-hmm. knowing what you know about us, taking what you've seen out there, working with so many different companies, what would be like the tips or like the steps that you would want to put in place in order to help us kind of get to the next level as far as what data we have, what we're able to do with that in order to grow quicker and grow faster.
1: Sure. So I think there's, there's two sides to it. One, in terms of getting your, your kind of data in order, setting everything up. Uh, if you're like a chef in the kitchen, get everything get everything set up. And then two, what are the flavors of rules which we can then build off that. So in terms of getting your data in order, um, what is the data model which you want to represent, build and represent across all your systems? Who is your ideal customer profile? How would you describe that? What's the data which you're going to need for that? Things like industry, job titles of people and so on. Um, what's the context of how those people have engaged with you? Um, so based on their previous actions, what's life cycle, stage, et cetera, how do you represent that across your whole system? What's your, what's your tracking plan? What's the, uh, uh, so how, how are you uh, build, building that whole kind of system, uh, system of data as uh, be tracked in? And once you've got all that, I and mean, you have that all, uh, standardized across your system, then we can talk about, okay, what kind of things we, we can um, we can start to optimize.
0: Here's a question for you. So, an example, we're personalizing our marketing funnel. Uh-huh based on different industries. It's kind of yep. an initial starting point. Yep. You know, we've got basically four different industries. We've got SaaS, e-commerce, agencies, like coaches, consultants, courses, uh, and then other kind of has a you know, separate yep. bucket. What's hard is Clearbit doesn't have all of the exact things we need. You yep. know, so it's just like, where do we get the right data to fit the buckets to actually yep. have good marketing?
1: So to identify that ideal customer profile, to identify whether someone fits that or doesn't. Um, So, someone's already hitting hitting the website, you've got their, uh, you're capturing their email and you're sending that to Clearbit and getting that enrichment data back, but you're not getting the match rate, is that that what you're saying? Yeah, well, I mean,
0: some of them, it's like, okay, Clearbit has a certain way that they describe things, you know, but they
1: don't have coaches, consultants, courses,
0: maybe in the same definition that we have, or we may call, you know, I don't think they have, like, marketing agency as yeah, a so, tag. maybe yeah, There's
1: there's some combinations of tags, yeah. So there's frustration. Yeah, yeah, so it's How kind of like,
0: or even as we've talked with other customers, we kind of help them think through, like, personalization strategy. It's like, we don't want to start with, okay, what data is available, and then build from there. We want to kind of say, okay, like, given— What's the
1: question if, you're trying to if, answer? Yeah, yes. if every piece of data was available, what would we do? So but There's a big gap there a lot of times. So uh, imagine if your entire website, if you think of your entire website as a form, and every interaction you can use for profiling. One of the uh, things which we found kind of interesting uh, is building out sets of landing pages, sets of um, around those types of topics, around those types of things. Mm -hmm. So for instance, the whole what integrations do you have? Um, So we would also use data enrichment services like Clearbit and Datanize to identify this. But one, when that's not going to get everything, and two, we want to know what you're interested in right now. So by building out those sets of pages and understanding how you're clicking through the site, where you're landing from, what other kind of messages you're engaging with, helps to build that picture. So besides the enrichment data which is coming in, um, you, you have those kind of in, signals of intent, signals of interest yep. around that stuff, but then also being like explicit, like asking people within the page, like what integrate, what are you looking to integrate with Salesforce? Um, and then rolling that data in. Then to keep all that clean and tidy and actually make sense, you then need to have a means of uh, building what we call fallback strategies. So. What Of all the tools which you're interested in, from all these data sources, how do you prioritize which one is the most true mm-hmm. um, so that when you do your messaging with your sales guys reaching out, you're, he's not got this like, complete mess of data to work with. He's got like, here's just the two things we should need to be talking about. You kind of weight different actions You can say okay, they're, because
0: yep. like, so even with the industry deal, we've kind of done that, you know, you kind of tag different blog posts. Okay, if they've read seven agency blog posts yep. and three e-commerce blog posts, yep. you know, which
1: one are they? Yes, but then you use some level of intelligence. So like, yeah, how
0: do you kind of weight that to say, you know, is it the most recent one Did they kind of switch from agency to e-commerce? Like, how do you kind of
1: know that what you have is true? Uh, generally, like, often the best thing is to leave that up to, like, the sales rep or leave it up to the person who's going to be managing that, that piece of the campaign, mm-hmm. but to have that summarized. Um, often systems in the past, like Salesforce, like HubSpot, were not built for this amount, like today's amount of data. Um, and so they force you to do things like have one field for one thing and tidy things up in that way or uh, otherwise limit and constrain your view on that. Um, whereas modern tooling, you can li- have everything or have everything expanded and linked and referenced. Um, so for instance, like what's the first uh, page you looked at what what's your interest there? Uh, what's the first campaign you came in versus the last campaign? This is a classic multi-touch, uh, multi-channel attribution problem. Yep. You're really limited by like, first touch, last touch, Fields and that kind of thing, rather show me a summarized timeline of all the things that they've, that they've done, and then begin to deduce how their story from there. Um, if you don't have like a timeline or something like that to understand the context of how some people are moving through the cycle, um, then yeah, you're you're a you're lot kind of times you're still
0: kicking it to human intelligence to say but we're going to give you a concise summary. Yes, we're going to help condense it. Yep, you got to kind of make some decisions or maybe yep. ask some questions yep. there, but this is going to give you a huge head start. Yes.
1: Um, uh, and bring that all into their tool of choice, so they're not digging into Mixpanel, panel, they're not digging like digging into LinkedIn. They can stay focused in their tool of choice. Um, but you are going to bring that complete summarized view, so they have everything there. Think like a uh, like air force pilot, where they've got oh, like the data coming into where they're at. Yeah. Like that's what you're aiming for. Yeah. Um, and that's why you need that operationalized system in the middle. That's why you need to bring all join dots, if you like, on the back end. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. This is fascinating stuff. You know, and it's complex, but I think as you kind of, as it starts to make
0: sense, you start to realize everything else just became so much more powerful. Yes. And even as we're like, you know, personalizing sites, like, yeah, I mean, a piece of it is, you know, the actual tooling to do this, whether it's email or on page or whatever. A piece of it, you know, a bigger piece of it is probably the actual strategy, like, do you have the strategy right? But then you're only as good as the data that you have available. Yep. If you don't have it. You're just stuck in the water, and how or you're you, going to be optimizing like one percent of your emails or traffic or whatever, and it's like, yeah. this is cool. It makes a cool blog post. I didn't really make any more money here, yeah. Yeah. and I think that's the hard part when it comes to doing this. Like, how do you do it in a way that actually moves
1: key yeah. metrics? So I think that comes from having access to the data, like understanding the customer lifecycle, building a model, building an equation, so you can describe not mm-hmm. in conjecture or opinion, but no, this is these are the key levers. Things like pricing, things like I mean, for a lot of companies, might be acquisition Acquisition by which channel? Or how do you convert X, Y, or Z people? And what's the, what's the key lever there? Things like segmentation. Um, if you go and look at the conversion rates by industry, so you mentioned like looking at industry and what the spread uh, of the different kinds of dimensions. Maybe industry is not the thing with the widest spread. Maybe people um, there's a bigger difference in how, how people convert by a new company size. Yep. Um, and that bigger difference indicates one message is working far better, and you could probably even optimize and improve that, and you have the scope to uh, have the others catch up. So where you can build a segmentation strategy based on uh, where you've got the widest spread, um, that's, th- those are the kind of things, but it starts yep. with access, it starts yeah, with yeah. having that full picture. Yeah, totally. All right, I want to hop into the
0: salty six, but one last question before I do. I'll just piqued your interest in the Salty Six. Yeah. But what are you excited about for the next few years of B two B SaaS? What are you? What trends are you watching? What shifts in the market? You know, have you kind of seen? Like, what are you going to be personally watching
1: and excited about? I think I've been in the marketing, to marketers about marketing for a long time, and the the tech uh, is getting particularly interesting. I think uh, whilst there's like big roll ups, um, there's also like more and more interesting new niche uh, niche players and how they grow and the directions they go in. Um, That's very cool, but it's what's the profile, who owns that, Uh, and how is that role going to develop over time? So whoever figures that out and how to nurture and support that community and that that group of people, uh, I think that's going to be the most exciting thing, not just for the next five years, but the next 10, 50, 100 years, like marketing, sales, has not become less data-driven. Yeah. Whoever owns that. And who do you see doing that well right now? Uh, I actually think it's a bit of a land grab. (laughs) Um, the, the thing about marketing to market to about marketing, most of those companies are going for like higher level or less technical audience because it's bigger. Yeah. but the influence the people who are operating at the at the data layer have is far, far larger. Um, and so the, I think there's an outsized return in the companies you can figure that out. Um, so that, I think that's that's the next that's the next gold rush. Yeah
0: totally very cool. All right, and the salty six, six rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. Me to just get to know you a little bit better. Okay, some very about good. business, some outside of business. Perfect. Sound good? Sounds good. Number one, outside of breaking data silos, what do you do for fun?
1: What do I do for fun? So I like to cook and I like to fly. I like to go see places. Like Austin, this is, uh, unf- yeah, there's two things. What's, like, your, what's your favorite place in the world you've ever been? Um, London? Yeah, it's, like, it's fun to go visit places, but it's, that feeling of seeing the red, white, and blue tail, and the cup of tea, and the welcome back. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's a good moment. That's awesome. Okay, cool, do you have a morning routine, and if so, what is it? Oh, boy. Uh, yes, I do have a morning routine, but uh, it's probably a little lazy and a, little, a lot of room for optimization. I'm definitely more a, a late night person than a morning person, to put it that way, but yeah. Cool, well, cool, cool. Uh, how do you focus during the day? How do I focus during the day? Turn things off. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so for context, so Hull uh, was in Paris and Atlanta, and I was the only person in London. I worked from an uh, office that can be called Distilled, so I wouldn't be disturbed. Mm-hmm. You're surrounded by people, you need the buzz, yeah. Um, but yeah, but, so that's kind of ideal. So to turn things off, um, having recently left Hull, I've taken Slack off. Oh, yeah, So you turn Slack off. So that is amazing. That, that is literally like coming off like a whole bunch of addictive things all at once. Oh, like yeah. it's, it's amazing how addictive that kind of technology is. Um, what do you think it is? Just all the different
0: notifications, like just every channel. Yes. Whenever and I'm like, whenever I'm slumping during the day, I just yeah. hop on Slack. It's like a little hit of.
1: Yeah, and because it's work, it feels okay. You wouldn't do the same on Facebook. You wouldn't do the same on like Instagram. You wouldn't do the same. I feel on like, I'm like, like I'm like being that. a good team member yes. by like being exactly. addicted to Slack. Exactly. I'm so just helping everyone. It, out. it doesn't have the negative feeling. So like, turn things off. Um, uh, delete apps. So things like LinkedIn delete it unless you're going to say it to like a conference or something like that. I don't think anybody's ever downloaded LinkedIn in the first place. It can be, it can be, it can be <laughs> useful for like yeah, a, yeah. messaging around like a conference or something. That's but true. then to get rid of it. So delete stuff less. Cool. I like it. Okay. What's a book that has impacted you deeply in the last few years? I, I actually could like start with why. I mean, it's not in the past few years, but like a little, a little early on, because you need to understand uh, so the Simon Sinek talk and then reading the book, um, yeah, most, everyone knows what they do. Some people know how they do it. A few people instead, why? Doing the reverse. Um, yeah, Much more reason to get up in the morning. Hey, what's the best purchase you've made recently under $150? Um, so the best thing, so I do travel a little bit. Um, and as a Brit, I'm very fond of, for my tea. You mentioned uh, Earl Grey earlier. Um, actually, you can pick those things up for free in little airport lounges, but Earl Grey and British tea needs to be served with milk, of course. We're not savages. <laughs> and so to bring proper milk which comes in these little sachets, I say proper milk. Um, what's, a, at, what's a sachet? Like, like, no, just like a little- um, Pouch. Yeah, uh, and so you can get these like, individual portions of that and it totally transforms the taste of tea. A Couple of pounds and it totally makes your day. In you bring situation. those with you? Yeah, I'll show you in a minute. Uh, <laughs> I love that's, it, I can't wait. That's probably the, 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 the best happiness hack.
0: Okay, perfect, okay then finally, number six, what's a trait or characteristic that you have that's led to your success today?
1: A characteristic, I think, like always asking why, and maybe, maybe not really letting go on that. Um, I think it's possibly a bad habit, but like from like an early age, having like pretty senior people to work with, and maybe not, uh, not respect is probably the wrong word, but like uh, seeing people kind of equal and is that like, reason and whatever. Is that curiosity or is that skepticism or is it just? So curiosity, yes. Skepticism is. Like, I want to believe, but help me understand why. Mm -hmm. Like, that's searching, whereas cynicism is something else. Uh, I'm not a cynic, but skeptic. Skepticism is like, I'd I'd like to get there. Healthy. If you could help me get there. And you like to have, like, a good working relationship with people where you can, skepticism is a very healthy thing. That's, you need to be able to have an exchange of difference. Um, I don't do very well with uh, hierarchy and top-down stuff. You just break in say, I'm here to ask questions. Yeah. Forgiveness, not permission. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, Ed, this has been awesome, man. Yeah, Thanks fun. so much for geeking out with yeah. me over all all things data. Thanks so much for watching Scalar Die. And, Ed, if people want to find out more about you, see what you're doing in your next stage, of your next
1: venture, where can they find you? Sure. The um, so Twitter's good at Ed um and LinkedIn. Um, you can also check out behindthegrowth.com for the next big move. You got some
0: good tweets. Pardon? I'm a recent follower.
1: Yeah. I've been following the Twitter. Thank you. I recommend it. Check it out.
0: Yeah. Awesome, guys. Thanks for watching. We'll see you in the next episode.